This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Lessons from the world's top professors, anytime, any place. World history examined and science explained. This is One Day University. Welcome. You're listening to The Happiness Formula. I'm your host, Mike Coscarelli. Barry Schwartz has taken us on quite the journey. We've traveled to ancient Greece to learn the principles of wisdom from Aristotle. We've met nurses and doctors who navigate difficult situations every day with vulnerable patients. And we've met parents trying to figure out the best way to raise their kids. We've learned that happiness is less about chasing goals and more about cultivating wisdom and making good decisions. So this week... Barry talks about how to start applying what we've learned and how rules can actually keep you from gaining wisdom. Go figure. Well, Barry, get us started. So we spent a fair amount of time together, and I hope I've managed by now to convince you of how important wisdom is to doing work that's good, having relationships that are good, and ultimately to being satisfied with your life. Friends, lovers, parents, doctors, lawyers, teachers, hairdressers, retail salespeople all need wisdom to practice well. Yet when things go wrong, as they do, managers, 
administrators, policymakers, don't try to make practitioners wiser. Instead, they reach for tools that may ameliorate problems in the short run, but they make them worse in the long run. They reach for carrots and sticks, incentives and rules, in an effort to change the behavior of their workforce. But what I'm going to try to convince you of is that the more supervisors rely on rules and external incentives, the more the wisdom they need is endangered. Too many rules undermine the development of moral skill, and too much reliance on incentives undermines moral will. I'll begin with an example. I call this the lemonade example. One day in the early spring, a father, a professor of archaeology at the University of Michigan, took his seven-year-old to a baseball game. A few innings into the game, his son asked for lemonade. The dad dutifully went to a concession stand to get some. Mike's hard lemonade, 5% alcohol, was all they had. The dad, having never heard of it, bought some and brought it to his son. While they were cheering on the Detroit Tigers, a security guard happened to notice the child sipping hard lemonade from the bottle. He immediately called the police. The police immediately called an ambulance. The ambulance rushed to the ballpark and then rushed the child to the hospital. He had no trace of alcohol in him, and the doctors were ready to discharge him. But no, not so fast. The police put the child in a Wayne County Child Protective Services foster home. They hated to do it, they said, but they had to follow procedure. County officials kept him there for three days. They hated to do it, but they had to follow procedure. Next, a judge ruled that the child could go home to his mom, but only if his dad left the house and checked into a hotel, the dad who had endangered the child by giving him Mike's hard lemonade. The judge hated to do it, but he had to follow procedure. After two weeks, the family was finally reunited. In telling this story on National Public Radio, Scott Simon observed that, quote, procedures may be dumb, but they spare you from thinking. And to be fair, procedures are often imposed because previous officials have been lax and let a child go back to an abusive household. And we all know the truth in this second piece of what Scott Simon said. Every year or two, there's a story in the newspaper about some horribly abused child who was under the watchful eye of Child Protective Services and somehow uh, escaped detection enough to have been starved down to weighing 50 or 60 pounds. And 
right away, the response to that is we can't let this happen ever again. And so a rule is put in place to make sure that this particular failure won't recur, but some other failure, of course, will. So here's an example, the lemonade story, where people respond to the failure to protect children with more and more procedures that police and uh, judges have to follow. Here's another example. Let me remind you of Judge Forer, Judge Lois Forer. Remember way back when, when I talked about the case of Michael, who had stolen $50 from a taxi cab driver and the passenger. Young black male, high school dropout without a job. He stole $50 from a cab driver while uh, brandishing a toy gun. There was no doubt in Forer's mind, Judge Forer's mind, that he was guilty. But the penalty posed problems, she said. The prosecutor wanted a five-year sentence. Pennsylvania sentencing guidelines called for a two-year sentence. She thought both of those were excessive and sentenced Michael to 11 and a half months in county jail, permitting him to leave jail to go to work every day so as to support his family. He served his time, working all the while, was successfully reunited with his family and it seemed like a good solution to an unfortunate problem. The trouble is, as I warned you when I first told you this story, the prosecutor was not satisfied with the judge's sentence and appealed it. It took a while for the appeal process to wend its way through the Pennsylvania court system. Eventually, the appeal was decided. By then, Michael was out of jail, back with his family, holding a steady job. The appeals court ruled that Michael's sentence should be extended to three years. He had to go back to jail. Two things happened as a result of that. First, Michael disappeared. Second, Judge Forer resigned from the bench. She decided that judges no longer were allowed to use judgment, and she didn't want to be a judge anymore. It's a second example of excessive reliance on rules at the expense of wise judgment. One last example. This concerns a battlefield judgment. A lieutenant colonel named Chris Hughes was on a delicate mission in the religious center of Najaf in Iraq uh, in April of 2002. The soldiers in his very small unit were walking along a street when suddenly hundreds of Iraqis poured out of the surrounding buildings, waving their fists, shrieking, frantic with rage. They pressed in on the Americans who looked at one another with terror. Lieutenant Colonel Hughes, behind surfer sunglasses, stepped forward, rifle high over his head, barrel pointing to the ground. Take a knee, he ordered his men. They looked at him like he was crazy. 
then one after another, because soldiers follow orders, they knelt before the angry crowd, pointing their guns at the ground. The Iraqis fell silent, their anger subsided, and Lieutenant Colonel Hughes ordered his men to withdraw. Catastrophe averted. A journalist happened to see this occur live on CNN, and he got in touch with Lieutenant Colonel Hughes and asked him who had taught him to tame a crowd like that. Hughes said that no one had prepared him for an angry crowd in an Arab country. Officers learned certain techniques like using the rotor wash of a helicopter to drive a crowd away. We've all seen that in TV movies where the, the helicopter lands and the wind created by the rotor blade pushes everybody away from the helicopter. Or uh, firing warning shots over people's heads. Hughes said the problem with that is that the next thing you have to do is shoot them in the chest. The Iraqis already felt that the Americans were disrespecting their, them and their mosque. And so for Hughes, the obvious solution was a gesture of respect. But what made this solution obvious? Hughes had to read the context, what this crowd was thinking, what they understood, or more likely what they misunderstood, how he might get through to them. He had to imagine the consequences of any steps he took and make a decision in a complex, dangerous, and highly unpredictable situation that had competing goals. He had never trained for this situation. He had no rules to follow. He came up with a solution that was the right solution. Now, what's interesting about this is that even before the Iraq invasion, the U.S. Army had become concerned that too many of their field officers lacked the ability to do this kind of improvisation. In the year 2000, the Army Chief of Staff wanted to figure out why, and he brought someone in as a retired lieutenant colonel to do research on what was going wrong in the training of the field leadership. In the Army, wartime experience is considered the best teacher as long as you survive the first few weeks. The question is, is there another good teacher of battlefield leadership? And the consultant, Leonard Wong, found one. And that was the practice that junior officers get while training their units. Characteristically, these officers have to make lots and lots of decisions as teachers to train their, their soldiers. And these decisions they make develops their capacity for using judgment that they will need when they're on the battlefield. But what Wong discovered is that starting in the 1980s, the Army had begun to restructure training in ways that had opposite results. Instead of giving company commanders a handful of objectives and, and uh, allowing them to meet those objectives in whatever way they thought best, they gave them longer and longer lists of specific training exercises. And what that meant 
is that the commanders in training their troops had less and less reason to use their judgment in deciding how to train, which meant they had less and less opportunity to develop their judgment as they were training the troops, which meant when they actually needed their judgment under battlefield circumstances, they had nothing to call on. All of the specific training requirements that the army introduced were, of course, designed to improve training, making sure that nothing was missed as uh, troops were trained for battle. And it's possible that in some respects it did improve training. But the price that was being paid, which nobody realized, is that at the same time that you were maybe providing better training for the troops, you were providing worse training for their leaders. And the result was mechanical activity in the battlefield because the ability to improvise, read the situation, use discretion and judgment had not been built into field commanders. Too many rules, too many requirements removes discretion and stifles the development of flexible officers. And that results in a kind of reactive rather than proactive thought, compliance with rules rather than creativity, adherence rather than audacity. These are not the kinds of officers the Army needs in unpredictable, quickly changing situations where specific orders are absent and military protocol is unclear. What Wang concluded was that the army is creating cooks who are quite adept at carrying out a recipe rather than chefs who can look at the ingredients available to them and create a meal. And of course, it perhaps goes without saying that Wang and the high-level army leadership thought that the army needed more chefs and fewer cooks. To use the language that I've been using, the army needed more wisdom and less rule follow. And it was inadvertently taking the opportunity to develop wisdom away from the people who would need to display it under battlefield conditions. It's time right now for a quick break. But when we come back, how we end up with mediocre teachers. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. 
and you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Another example is how Jerome Groupman learned to give bad news. Again, remember Groupman telling his 30-year-old patient that she was probably going to be dead in two years. So he describes his own education. The first point he makes is that when doctors have these conversations with their patients, they do it behind closed doors so that the medical students who are training, the residents who are training, don't get to see these conversations and learn from them. They basically learn themselves on the job. So Groupman entered practice believing in honesty. Tell the truth. It was disrespectful and patronizing to lie or to sugarcoat. So he had a patient who would die of cancer probably in six months, and he told her. She was crushed. She was devastated. She lived for two more years in a state of perpetual sadness. So Groupman learned you can't just tell the truth. The next time, he sugarcoated things, and his patient didn't have adequate time to prepare himself and his family. For his death. Well, maybe you do need to tell the truth. These early blunders is how Groupman described these decisions. These early blunders are not surprising. It's always hard for doctors to deliver bad news. People don't want to acknowledge that their patient's going to die. There's always some possibility that one more test or one more procedure will prevent what seems to be an imminent death. Conventional wisdom has always been keep the patient optimistic. But as Groupman points out, he had never watched a doctor have this conversation. The consulting room doors were closed, and so he was flying blind. Here's a quote. During my nine years of medical school and professional training in the 1970s, I was never instructed in how to speak about dying to a gravely ill patient and the patient's family. It was presumed that as medical students, we learned how to deliver bad news through careful observation of our mentors. 
just as we learned how to lance an abscess by watching doctors and then trying it ourselves. But most physicians prefer to speak to their patients in private, and the subject was never raised in our classrooms. That's another example. Still another example, the way in which many school systems have responded to disappointing or woefully inadequate instruction provided by teachers is to give teachers scripts to follow. The idea is that some expert sitting in the central administration of the Board of Education, some group of experts, will design the ideal script for teaching algebra, the ideal script for teaching civics, the ideal script for teaching grammar, and then they'll, it'll be handed in a big loose-leaf uh, notebook to the teachers who will simply follow the script. Which means, of course, that teachers now become script readers and rule followers, and their opportunity to develop the discretion and judgment that will enable them to figure out what the particular kids in that particular class need has been essentially eliminated. Teaching as script following is not a job that most teachers want. And so either you drive the wisdom out of teaching by giving teacher scripts to follow, or you drive the wise teachers out of teaching because they find the job so unrewarding the way it's constructed. And the worse performing a school system is, the more inclined it is to take discretion away from the teachers and give them scripts to follow. If we have mediocre teachers, we got to tell them what to do. When we tell them what to do, of course, they remain mediocre teachers. And it is probably better to have a mediocre teacher than an awful one, but it is not good enough to settle for mediocre teachers and lose any chance to have inspired ones. The appeal to rules is a war against mistakes. It's a war against trial and error. It's a war against using judgment. And it is self-perpetuating because you, the more you take judgment out of the practice, whether it's the practice of talking to patients or the practice of teaching elementary school kids, or the practice of leading a battalion or a company on the battlefield, the more you take it out of the practice, the less wise the practitioners become. The less wise the practitioners become, the more you need rules to substitute for the wisdom that the practitioners unfortunately don't have. So this has been the model, a model, for making medical practice better, educational practice better, financial services practice better. We can't rely on these people to use their judgment, give them rules to follow that will assure a given level of quality of whatever is the service that they provide. But as Lieutenant Wong said in evaluating the Army, the world needs chefs, and rules are for cooks.
Something to think about. Are you approaching life as a chef or as a cook? Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time when Barry talks about why being a person of character is not about doing the right things, but about doing the right things for the right reasons. The Happiness Formula from One Day University is a production of iHeart Podcasts and School of Humans. If you're enjoying the show, leave a review in your favorite podcast app and check out the Curiosity Audio Network for podcasts covering history, pop culture, true crime, and more. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.